The Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast is now proud to be part of the Low Tree Studios podcast network. To enjoy more great podcasts like this one, head along to lowtreestudios.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Everybody and welcome to episode 86 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody. So we've had quite a few changes going on in this household over the last week. One of which is that we are paying less now for our food bills. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I have to do the editing for the podcast myself. Yes, because Bryce has moved on to bigger and better things. He has. Bless him. And he's doing really well, I've got to say. Yes, I was quite impressed with his uh, meal today, actually. We've dumped him off at uni, and uh, it feels really strange, actually, not having him here. It does. We can now watch TV without him explaining everything to us, which actually is a downside, because that was really useful. <laughs> it was It was like... Brycepedia. How many times have we called him Brycepedia? Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, he he definitely is missed around these parts. So if you're listening, Bryce, we couldn't be prouder of you being at university and doing as well as you're doing. Keep on rocking, kid. Keep on doing what you're doing. Tomorrow's the big day because he's going to, he said he was maybe going to do his laundry tomorrow. Hey. So so that'll be the test for tomorrow. It will. It will. (laughs) When he starts wearing crop tops. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think we're quite lucky. Proud of all of our kids, aren't we? Yes. They've all done really well. Anyway, we have had some great feedback from you guys in regard to our last episode that we did with Preston Dennett. That has been absolutely amazing. That was really well received. So he'll definitely be coming back on the show. Yes, and he's got some interesting things he could actually talk about, doesn't he? He does. He does. He's definitely a wealth of information. Coming up, the next episode, we've got Paul Sinclair, and he's going to be talking about his new book, The Night People. So that's going to be really interesting as well. Yep, it's great, because you're uh, reading the book and... Oh, that is that is a good book. Talking about how much you're enjoying it, and reading bits out loud, and... Yeah, it's good that I can read, isn't it? It is, yeah. oh, You're impressed, aren't you? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, there is something that's a little bit serious that we wanted to discuss very quickly with you guys, and that is that... I have set up a GoFundMe So that he can buy me a present called a hip replacement. Yep. She is not doing amazingly with her hip at the moment. And she was, you know, assessed and they said, yeah, okay, you need a hip replacement, etc. And that has obviously been put on the back burner because of COVID. When she's going to work, she is in absolute agony. She comes home, she's in tears. It's not nice. It's not nice for a husband to see his wife like that. And these little intervals, these little bits of time off when she is sat here, nice and still and comfortable doing the podcast. Is eating bonbons in bed. Eating bonbons in bed. <laughs> you know, fanned by my husband, so yeah. I'm nice and cool. 
Yeah, they are a far cry from what she actually is when she comes in from work. So we're asking anybody and everybody if they could share the GoFundMe campaign. I'll put a link to it on our website. Have a read of the story. I'm not going to go into it all now. Have a read of the story. Share it with whoever you can. If you're in a position to be able to help and support us and donate, then that would be absolutely amazing. Uh, But we don't expect any of you to. But the closer that we can get to our target, the more chance there is of getting her out of this pain. And that's all we're going to say about that. Okay, all right. Except for thank you if you do donate, because it would be really nice to walk normally. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we have got coming up on the show, Richard Lenny, who's got some really amazing information about Jupiter, which has just blown my mind. We've got Ruth Roper Wild, who once again is sharing some amazing facts about hauntings. We also have a little bit of a treat for you, where we're going to have Tom from reminiscing with Tom, sharing a story about a UFO experience that he had, which is just, again, blew my mind. My yeah, mind's getting blown a lot recently. You wouldn't think that about Tom, would you? He seems like just such a, Well, you know. Tom, he's an ex-serviceman. He was a businessman. He also is a pilot, qualified pilot. This guy's a talented man. You know, he well, really is. Well, yeah, no, I didn't mean it in any no, bad no, way. No, I'm saying it's, that someone with his achievements yeah. wouldn't need to make something up. No, because you know? he's got many stories. Exactly. There. This is really interesting, and you're going to really like the sound of that. I had a really interesting experience, by the way, the other day, which I've got to say, it freaked me out a little bit. So I had a dream, I'm hoping it was a dream, that I was fighting with some aliens, and when I say fighting with some aliens, I was really going to town on these things. Hang and on, is this the, one, the other night yeah, when yeah, you woke yeah, me yeah, up yeah, and yeah, said, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. I was fighting with these aliens and they've only got like skinny arms and, and legs and everything. And I was snapping their arms and legs and I was punching them in the face and, <laughs> you know, really, really going to town, wailing, as you would say, mm-hmm. wailing on these things. And suddenly I started to come to, but I had sleep paralysis and I had like this buzzing in my ear and I couldn't move and I sensed something around me. So like part of me is now wondering, was I abducted? Did I, (laughs) was I actually fighting aliens? But you were next to me awake. So I think you'd have noticed if I'd have left. Yeah, Um, I'm pretty sure. But it was freaking. Well, actually, I'm not sure if I would have noticed. I was on my iPad watching some stuff on Netflix. So you could have popped away and popped back for all we know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Well, they could have put you to sleep and you wouldn't have realized it. Paused the video for you. Uh, Let's Uh, just pause this a minute. mm -hmm, I really don't think that happened. But okay, let's just move on. Yeah, no. Anyway, so yeah, that was really weird the other day. Okay, let me ask you a question, Bella. Can you name any scientific discoveries that happened in the last year? So we're, we're talking about 2019 now, 2019 to 2020. There's plenty of stuff that's gone on this year, but can you think of anything? Scientific discoveries. Yeah, any scientific discoveries, any firsts in science? Can you think of any? Well, I'm sure I could if I wasn't on the spot in front of thousands of people, but... Well, you're not in front of thousands of people because you're just in front of a microphone and it's just me, you, and the DOG. Yeah. Um, hmm. Scientific discoveries. Well, there's been loads in, like, medical advancements. Okay, give me give me one then. Um, COVID. You're kind of on the right track because they actually found successful Ebola treatments in 2019. So that's one of them. 
Okay, I'll give, I'll give you I'll give you some uh, examples They've, there's here. There's been pretty big advancements in dementia medications and stuff. Has there? Yes. Okay. Do you remember in the news last year they imaged a supermassive black hole for the first time? Do you remember that? Yes. They also debuted two treatments for the Ebola virus. Right. A spacecraft was launched into orbit that was powered by sunlight alone. That's pretty cool, actually. I mean, once it gets into space, you'd think it would have enough sunlight. Well, I guess depends on where it was going. But Well, if you remember, what it was was there was a big sail on it. The light was actually hitting the sail, and it was powered almost like wind, but by light rays instead. Right. They discovered a hidden continent. Do you remember that? Yes, vaguely. So an eighth continent that's a thousand miles under Europe. Yeah, I think I I, I remember reading about that. That's pretty cool. Now they got to go back and change all those geography books and. Yeah, it was called Greater Adria, A D R I A. You'll remember this one because we spoke about it on the podcast. Kraken. They actually found the giant squid. Yep. Remember. Yep. And they've managed to find some other species of fish and stuff in in depths way deep down. And Yeah, I mean, there's some crazy stuff down there, crazy-looking yeah. stuff. But that happens all the time, I think, really. The deeper we're able to go, the more weird things they're going to be able to find, isn't it? There was also a probe sent to an asteroid 5.5 million miles from Earth. Right. On New Year's Day, NASA's nuclear-powered New Horizons spacecraft flew past a mountain-sized object four billion miles from Earth. Do we really want nuclear-powered? Well, I guess it doesn't matter, does it? Well, the thing is, you can't fuel it on diesel because there's no nowhere to fill up. So what's rocket fuel? Well, it's still a, it's still a type of petroleum, isn't it? It's very, very high-grade petroleum. But petroleum's not nuclear, is it? No, no, petroleum's petrol. It comes yeah. out of the Earth. It's, right. Yeah, right, okay. So I'm saying that they can't use something like that because there's nowhere to fill up on the way. Yeah. But if you use nuclear and and the thing is going up and it smacks a plane or something, because you just don't know, then it could... (laughs) It smacks a plane or something. What are you laughing at me for? (laughs) I'm just saying. Well, they make sure that there's nothing flying in the area when they actually, you know... Well, what if... What if... (laughs) Some dude was flying a plane and his radar doohickey thingamabobber was broken and he wasn't, you know, telling anybody where he was. No, I'll tell, tell, tell you someone who would have done it, Kerry McCauley, who we've got coming on soon because y- yeah, the okay. risks that guy took. Yeah, so, so if, it, if it smacks into a plane and it explodes, all that nuclear stuff is going to come down to Earth. It, <laughs> geez, okay. Then, of course, there was a Chinese mission that put a lander, a rover, and a lander on, on the, the far side of the moon. Yeah. Which That's is pretty cool. Which is pretty cool as well. All of it's pretty do, cool. Do they got video of that? Well, there's photos of it. I'm sure there's video as well, yeah. But it's just like the moon, but the front of it, really. Well, no, but I'm just saying, are we sure they did it? Like, do they have, you oh, know, you the, mean, like, like how they're saying they... Americans didn't actually go land on the moon. Do they have proof that they actually landed on the dark well, side the of the moon? the thing is, I suppose it depends on what you term proof, doesn't it? Because, you know, you could say that what the Americans have got is proof, but, Well, you know, no, but, but they recorded and... over their, the, the... Telemetry data. I mean, that's pretty... Yeah. That's... Yeah. Obviously, didn't use their rocket science. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Someone copied over <laughs> yeah. it. Someone copied over it and they went, What the what the fuck have you done there? Why why have you why have you taped over that? It's not fucking rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so the rocket scientist doesn't even have rocket scientist yeah. stuff. Whatever. He's not a rocket scientist. Yeah. Oh, he failed. <laughs> he only squeaked by in his class. Yeah, he, he got a, yeah. yeah he was he on the apprenticeship. D. Yeah, he got a D. He, only, yeah. he just barely made it. <laughs> okay, so NASA scientists also learned about earthquakes that were on Mars, which they didn't know about before. I didn't know about earthquakes on Mars. Well, they uh, can you call them earthquakes, though? Because we're on Earth, so they'll be called earthquakes. Quakes. They're Mars quakes, aren't they? Tectonic plate. There was movement. a Japanese spacecraft that landed on the surface of an asteroid last year, which is which is absolutely bizarre. The Voyager two spacecraft that actually left our solar system and entered the depths of interstellar space. That happened. We got um, the fact that scientists actually discovered a planet outside of our solar system yeah. that they said could probably be the most logical place where we would find life because it was so close to Earth or close, so close to Earth's. It was like so close to Earth, it was in another solar yeah, system. <laughs> close to Earth's, Earth's environment and habitat. That's what I meant. In December last year, the European Space Agency launched a new telescope into orbit, which was designed to look more into exoplanets. The Horizon Telescope published its first ever image of a black hole. There was something recently in the news about a black hole, I think. Can't remember what it was, though, so never mind. Well, they even, last year, found and, and recorded a black hole devouring a neutron star. I don't which know. Is, which has never been seen before. I don't know what a neutron star is. So. It's a super dense remnant of a dead star, so it says there. In March, SpaceX launched the Crew Dragon, which is obviously a commercial spaceship. And then, of course, this year... They actually did the test, didn't they? They actually yeah. went up to the uh, space station and spent some time up there. So, I've read in India they're building a quote-unquote Mars environment so that they can start developing things, technologies or, or whatever, to be able to colonize Mars. It looks like a ginormous pod or something, like a big glass dome thing. Obviously, we found out some things that weren't as nice. Climate researchers found that Antarctic and Greenland ice sheets are actually melting a lot faster than they originally thought they were. Yeah, they just the other day had a big piece break off again. It's really sad if you think about it. It is very sad. But it is all that like global warming thing. There's too many people that just don't take it very seriously. And well, in order to do anything to stop all this sort of global warming and decimation of the climate, melting of the poles mm. and that sort of thing, it's going to take a global effort not just government but you know the little oh, people yeah. I, I everyone's that, gonna need to get on board with it i mean and i mean the thing is it's not going to happen you know why because they can't even get people today in society to wear a mask no that's right well can't get a, a all lot people, of people yeah yeah, yeah. To, to wear a mask so how the hell does anybody think that we're going to be able to save the planet when they can't even save their well, own you families. You can't because... even say put it into law because there's people breaking the law every day. So, oh, yeah. you, you know, there's always going to be an element of people. I think the only way that people are actually going to start doing it is to feel the fear themselves. And unfortunately, that's only going to happen when it becomes too late. David Attenborough has just released a new film which shows how the changes are, are happening and, and that's supposed to be a real eye-opener. I wouldn't mind and watching how that And how they're affecting... Actually living things mm. and places and stuff, yeah. There's another United Nations report that revealed that between 500,000 and 1 million 
plant and animal species face extinction within decades. Well, I'm not surprised. Well, anyway, this this was pretty downbeat, wasn't it, this little section? I know, right? <laughs> but, no, it started off with, with some really good stories in the fact that, really, when you start to put these things together and you start to say, wow, actually, look at how far we've come. Yeah, if but only, then... <laughs> if only all of that scientific headway had been made in saving the planet, creating ways to make the planet habitable... Healthy. ...for longer, yeah then that'd be great because there's no point being able to do some of these things if we've got nowhere to launch from. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Didn't hear about all this kind of stuff when we were kids. Well, see, you know, this is why I keep on at you. When you leave a light on or you leave the fan on or you don't put the recycling in the right bin, Bella. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't blame it on Bryce now. He's not here anymore. It's just, it's I didn't you now. blame it on Bryce. You just assumed it was Bryce and went, why can't anybody else empty the trash? Why can't anybody else put this in there? And then I ask a simple question once. When you put glass in a glass thing, should you be taking the label off or the cans? And you're like, I don't know. Well, don't you think you should look that up? You look it up. You look it up. You're the one that's all I don't waste the electricity. fanatical about, oh, please. <laughs> You're the one that's all fanatical about it. I know. I am. Well, I, I do like recycling. Well, then you need to learn how to do it right, or you may as well not even do it. Because what if, over the last six years, all the stuff that we've put in there should have been peeled off labels? Right. Should have been peeled Can off. Can somebody please email us and let us know whether we should be peeling the labels off of our bottles and cans? Oh, my God. I'm going to call um, Bracepedia and ask him to look it up, because he'll look it up. <laughs> Actually, if he was here, he'd already looked it up and yeah, been telling us. He'd have already us. told us, yeah. He'd have been listening from another room, heard mm-hmm. our conversation, researched the answer, and then come in and told us. Exactly. Right. See okay. how, you know, curious he is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Here comes the story from Tom. Alrighty then. Last winter, on a cold winter night, cloudless, this night was beautiful. I stepped out onto the balcony for a breath of fresh air and to observe the clear night sky. In a moment, I was remembering how my hometown sky was as I grew up. Lying on my back on the front porch, I always was amazed at the sight of millions and millions of stars above and was thinking if there were any intelligent life forms, maybe looking back at me and wondering the very same thing. This old memory made me wonder how many stars I could now count, even with the big city lights of Berlin. Unfortunately, I was only able to count no more than 10 or 12, and that was even with squinting. What a state of affairs, I thought. How many city people will never have the wonder of this part of nature, seeing the Milky Way? Then I thought of those possible beings who may really visit our planet after all. As I was looking closer at the tiny star specks, I noticed two stars about a thumb's width, thumb's width apart from each other. With serious thought in mind, I thought strongly, should you really be there? Please send me a signal. To my surprise, of course, The one on the right started to move towards its neighbor. Before it reached the other star, a laser light beam shot straight into my eyes and filled my complete cranium. It was only a second, and it didn't blind me at all. 
the star, then vanished, leaving only its neighbor, leaving me only one thought, and that was, thank you. <laughs> so here is to the wonderful nature of a star-spilled sky that many never really see. Oh, and a safe journey home to those who took the time to say, hello, all the best, Tom. Don't forget, you can hear Tom on his own show on our channel, Reminiscing with Tom, every other week. Yep, he's uh, got some really cool stories to tell. He has. He has got some really good stories. When you need a feel-good one, when you need to hear a little bit of something nice and, what's the word? Comforting. Yeah, comforting. I find his voice comforting. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Sort of David Attenborough-ish, isn't it? As soon as you hear, as soon as you hear his voice, that's the thing about David Attenborough, you know, like... It doesn't matter what he says to you. You're just like, yeah. He, he he just makes it so calm, doesn't he? Yeah. And now we've got Richard Lenny and Ruth Roberwild with their tales to tell. Hi, this is Rich Lenny, and welcome to the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful podcast. I'm with you somewhere on planet Earth, and I've got something very interesting to tell you tonight, and it's... um. A hard one to explain, but um, I will try. Going back on the 6th of this month, um, in fact, just before the 6th of this month, I had a photograph sent to me by Mr. Tom Scholes, who is a follower of mine on Facebook. He is a bit of a researcher, astronomer, and he sees a lot of things with his telescope. And also, um, he likes to take photography of planets and solar systems and stuff that's going around in the sky. And this particular night, I think it was towards the, the very beginning of September, he caught um, a very strange flash um, in space, and it was near Jupiter. Now, I think it was three photos he sent me. The first one was showing nothing in this space um, uh, near Jupiter, there was just um, a black space and there were stars around it and then you had Jupiter and I think the, um, Saturn was further up. And then on the second photograph, there was this like flash, which came out on the photograph as um, like a little dot. And then on the third photograph, there was nothing again. And that was it. That was the only time he saw it. That was the only photograph he got of it. Now, he wanted to know what it was. So of course, he sent it to me. And he asked my uh, advice of what it could be. And I said to him, look, Tom, because I actually phoned him up. And I said, did you see it more than once? I know you only got one photograph of it, but did you actually see it? Did it repeat itself? And he said, no, he never saw it again. He was watching, waiting for it. And it just never came back. So I told him a story, a true story, that happened a few years ago with night visions um, in my back garden. It was probably about one o'clock in the morning. I know it was past midnight. Very, very cold night. So clear skies. And I was panning around as I always do, trying to see what I can see. Because going out later, as I've explained before, you get less satellites. More chance if you see something moving, then it's going to be something else, not a satellite. And then all of a sudden I saw this flash. Well, I thought I saw a flash. So I just held it because I didn't want to lose it. Because when it happens, you know, it's like, whoa, okay, I'll just stay in this area in case I miss it. So I'm waiting and waiting, nothing. And then all of a sudden it did it again. 
And it's like somebody with a strobe light, you know, going on and off. So I waited and waited, and then it did it again. So what I did was I went one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. I counted up to 12 seconds, and then it flashed again. And it did this every 12 seconds for a good three, three quarters of an hour. And then um, it stopped, and that was it. There was no more flash. I waited and waited, and there was nothing. So I thought that was strange and just put it down to some anomaly, you know. Okay, there's a flash deep in space. I don't know what it means, but it's got to mean something. I went out again the next night because it was a clear night again and I was in the same area of sky and I couldn't see it. There was nothing there. Um, so I was panning around. This, by the way, was, um, I think it was northeast. Yeah, it was around about northeast when I saw this. So I was panning around to the south, and you never guess what? I saw it again. It had moved. So it moved from the northeast to the south. And this time, it wasn't every 12 seconds, it was every 10 seconds. And it went on for about 20 minutes, and then it stopped. I thought, this is crazy. This is just crazy. What is going on? I went out again the third night, couldn't find it. Waited for it, nothing. Went back to northeast, nothing. Went back to the south part of the sky, nothing. Anyway, about four or five days later, I caught it again. This time, it'd gone back to northeast. But it wasn't every 12 seconds, it wasn't every 10 seconds, it was about every 15 seconds. So it was getting longer. And I'm thinking, okay, and it was the same sort of thing. So what I tried to do, I'm with night vision, so don't forget, not through a telescope. So it's, you know, it's showing up quite, well, I'll say quite brightly. I suppose it was quite a dim light, but it was showing up. I mean, I tried to see it with my naked eye. So what I did was, when it flashed, I took the, the um, night visions down and counted one Mississippi, two Mississippi, up to 15 seconds. And there was nothing there. I couldn't see anything with my naked eye. So then I put my night visions back up and obviously, you know, it flashed again. I saw it and I was trying to figure out what it could be. And it is quite, quite a dim light, but it does show up quite well through, through the night visions. So then what I decided to do was really hold it steady to see if this thing was moving at all or whether it was actually stationary. So I sort of got my sort of bearings between some stars where this flash was. And I just held it there, and for a good 10 minutes, I was working out if this thing was moving. And it was, but it was only moving very slightly. But it was moving. It didn't stay in the same position. It did move off, and it shifted to the left. So this thing was moving about. It wasn't stationary. So whatever it was, it was moving. Now, the trouble is, A, I don't know how far out in space it was. Obviously, I can't tell. I mean, I don't know if it was close to Earth, whether it was far away. I mean, it could have been deep, deep in space, and it could have been a very, very bright object that was flashing, and I was just catching in the end tail of it. But it definitely, 100%, it was moving. Obviously, to me, it was only moving a little bit, but that little bit, to me, could have been a great deal closer up. So I told Tom about that, and he said, no, 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 he just saw it the once, and that was it. Now, I did put something up on Facebook a few years ago about this, and believe it or not, I got a guy in Canada saying he caught the same thing. 
So it wasn't me imagining it, even though I know I wasn't imagining it, but it was nice to have confirmation that some other researcher had caught it as well. Right, now let's go forward now, because this was obviously um, two or three years ago. Sorry about that, that was the President of the United States on the phone. Right, I had to take the call. Getting back to what I was saying, the, um, the flash I was catching was recorded by this guy also in Canada. So like I said, it was good to have confirmation. But going back to the 6th of this month, um, somebody had um, a telescope and he was observing the um, Jupiter and Mars positions in our sky and uh, he caught a flash. <laughs> it was the same flash that I was seeing through my night visions. A flash near Jupiter, September the 6th of this year and every 33 seconds he was getting this flash next to Jupiter and this went on I think for about 20 minutes. Now obviously I will leave the link for you so you can see this video because it's on my Facebook page. But I put on there, it looks like the flash Tom Scholes found last night. So, okay, so he found it on the 5th or the 4th, and I put it up on Facebook. So a couple of, it was either the night before or a couple of nights before the 6th. He saw one flash. Now, I think that one flash probably was more than one, but it's a possibility he caught the very last flash and then that was it. Um, but I reckon that was probably being, that, that flash that he caught was probably going on for, you know, uh, quite a while. But there again, I mean, it's a possibility it could have been just the one flash, I don't know. But anyway, so on the September the 6th, um, a gentleman abroad caught it through his telescope. He recorded it. You can see it on my Facebook page. He's put it down as live alien flash UFO for 33 seconds near Jupiter. But basically... I mean, whether it's alien or not, we don't know, obviously, you know, um, he's put up as alien, um, definitely unidentified, um, that's for certain, and every 33 seconds, you're getting this flash near Jupiter, so it starts to get interesting now, this story, anyway, so we had uh, one flash, okay, which was around about the beginning of um, September, possibly it could have been more, but one definitely recorded, then on the 6th, we've got every 33 seconds for a good 20 minutes, three quarters of an hour again. Um, we've got a flash going on near Jupiter. And then our good friend, UFO Joe, went outside to have a cigarette late the other night. And he saw uh, Jupiter. It was a clear night. Yeah, he lives in Romania. And he saw Jupiter with uh, Saturn in a 45 degree angle in the sky, beautiful, uh, clear sky, no clouds, no nothing. Then all of a sudden, Jupiter started to fade. It got smaller and smaller, and then it disappeared. So of course, he runs and gets his camera, puts on the tripod, starts recording. And apparently this happened about three times before he started getting his equipment ready to record. But he caught it another two or three times and it's on video, it's on my Facebook page and you can see it for yourself. You can see Jupiter, the huge gas planet, literally fading 
getting smaller and smaller and smaller until it completely disappears. And then all you've got is Saturn. Jupiter's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. And then it comes back. It comes back quickly, grows back up to the normal size that you see it. But when it disappears, it doesn't just disappear as if something's gone in front of it. It just fades out like a, a flame, literally, and it gets smaller and smaller. In fact, as it gets smaller, it turns like a bluey colour and then it completely disappears. And I mean, it's just black space. There's nothing there. Jupiter, as far as the person looking up in the sky is concerned, does not exist anymore. Now, this happened the next night. So the two must be connected. As Sherlock Holmes would say, they must, the two must be connected in some way. So the flashing light near Jupiter, which happened on the 6th, has got to be connected with Jupiter actually literally um, burning out in, in, in the sky, in space, in the night sky, literally. This happened a good dozen times. It may have been happening more. UFOJ came out, I'll tell you the time, it was 9.33, his time. So what is he, an hour ahead of us in the UK, maybe two? So it was either 7.30 here in the UK or 8.30. So it was 9.30, 9.33, something like that, when he saw this going on. Now, what's to say that it wasn't going on earlier than that? I mean, it might have been going on for like an hour. Who knows? But it was just pure coincidence that Joe went out the back for a cigarette, for a smoke, and he saw that. Because he does, he always looks up. He's like me. If I go out in the garden and let the animals out, I always look up at night before going to bed. Thank God he did that. And now he's also done another video where he's tried to enlighten it and make it more detailed. Because obviously people were putting, oh, it's clouds going in front of it. That's the reason, you know. It wasn't clouds. There was no clouds in the sky that night. So what UFO Joe has done is he's basically pulled up the contrast. And also, while he was doing it, on the end, he put his night visions on there. And he caught it with night visions as well. Because he wanted, because obviously he had a live feed going on at the time and people were commenting saying, oh, no, it's clouds. So to prove that it wasn't clouds, he put his night visions on. And of course, everything's lit up like a Christmas tree. And guess what? There's no clouds at all in the sky. Nothing at all going in front of Jupiter that we can see with telescope or with night visions. So this is proof that it, it was actually the gas planet itself, which, of course, we all know is a failed star, um, but never got that far. So it turned into a planet, a failed star that literally just burned out and then came back on again, burned out, came back on again, a, a good seven, eight, nine, maybe even a dozen times, but a good seven, six or seven times that we know about. So that's also being caught. Now, after that happened, obviously we put out um, information about it on the uh, internet. I tried phoning up a lot of um, observatories in the country, in the UK, because I wanted to see if they caught it on their very powerful telescopes, because I wanted to know what was going on with Jupiter. So I started to ring around and I found out that every single observatory was closed. There wasn't one open. A lot of them are open 24-7. You can phone them. Their phone numbers are on the Internet. You can find it. They're not hidden. I tried about two or three. Drodrill Bank was one of them and I just couldn't get through to it. The phone kept ringing and ringing. There was no answer. So I just put out a message on Facebook, on the Internet. 
Also, um, some of my other colleagues did the same. And we got an answer back. Apparently, there was a guy in Australia who also saw it, and he saw it fade two times. And he said there was no clouds at all in the sky. And he called it on um, video as well. So it's not just UFO Joe. It's just, you know, it's not just Tom Scholes. It's not just me that's seen this. A lot of other people have seen it as well. And, of course, not just here in the UK, not in, just in Romania, but in other parts of the world too. So this thing is happening. It's real. We don't know what's going on with Jupiter, but it is fading out and coming back in again. And it's nothing to do with clouds or anything like that. It's nothing to do with SpaceX um, and the row of um, satellites that are up there. It's nothing to do with that at all because you would have seen those as plain as day. In fact, when Joe put the uh, night visions on, you could actually see a couple of satellites flying over. But of course, they weren't hindering um, the view of Jupiter at all. In fact, I think he called a UFO as well because um, it curveballed. And of course, satellites don't do that. So that's at the very end of the video. You can see that as well. See what you think about that. But yeah, um, strange story. Crazy. It's been confirmed, not obviously by the astronomers, but it's been confirmed by other researchers and ufologists that this thing was actually happening. And um, that's what I wanted to tell you about tonight. So uh, I'll leave the link for you um, on the show and you can go across and have a look and see what you think and maybe put a comment down. Uh, below the video and um, if you think you know what it might be then yeah by all means leave a comment I mean I want to know what's going on you know if it's something that's easily explainable then fine if you think you know what's going on with Jupiter please put your comments down below because I would love to know obviously just like everybody else would as well so um, that said um, I will love you and leave you until next time this is Rich Lenny signing out Hi everyone, welcome to my segment on the paranormal. I'm Ruth Roper Wild and I'm an author who writes about people's own experiences with the paranormal. Well, seasons are turning again and we're starting to head into autumn in the Northern Hemisphere. It's the spookiest time of the year with Halloween and hanging mists to fire their imagination, but not just in the UK. September in China and Japan signifies the Hungry Ghost Festival for 15 days. It's a little bit like our Halloween, inasmuch as it is the time of the year when the veil between this world and the next is believed to be at its thinnest, allowing the spirits of the dead to rise and roam. Here in the UK, our Halloween is only one night, whereas the hungry ghosts can roam for a full two weeks. Let's hope no one here starts up a trade union for ghosts. There are several superstitions associated with the Hungry Ghost Festival, which I thought it would be interesting to share. Firstly, for the whole fortnight, it's considered very bad luck to hang clothes outside to dry. Whether it be on a line or on a balcony doesn't matter. If it's outside the four walls of the home, don't do it. This is because the ghosts will be attracted to the human form of the clothing and might either steal them or, worse still, possess them. And you could find yourself pulling on a pair of haunted trousers. Next, keep away from the shadows by the walls as you walk around at night. The spirits like the coolness of the shade there and you are more likely to get accosted by one. And also, don't ride the last bus or train of the night. It's the one that the spirits ride on. And another cause of concern is taking late night photos with your camera, or any time after dark really. At best, you might capture an unwanted image of spirit. 
but at worst, your camera or phone camera could get possessed by the trapped energy of a spirit. And finally, don't put your hand on anyone's shoulder. It's believed that doing so could potentially extinguish the flame of the person's protective aura that resides there, this way leaving them vulnerable to possession by the dead. A few haunted areas from Hong Kong are worth a mention. In Plover Cove Country Park, you'll find the Bride's Pool Waterfall and Pool. It's a stunningly beautiful wooded area with huge slabs of stone over which the water prettily cascades and tinkles and which looks really inviting for a bit of skinny dipping. The tragic ghost which is said to haunt the area is the bride herself for which it has been named. The legend is that she was being carried in a sedan towards her wedding in a nearby village, decked out in her beautiful finery and heavy, traditional, scarlet-red bridal clothing. There had been a storm the night before, leaving the pathway slippery and the river swollen into a raging torrent which cascaded over the falls in a thunderous plume of spray. Her sedan bearers lost their footing for a moment, and in scrambling to regain their feet, the sedan was tipped and she fell out into the raging torrent. She was swept away down the falls, and weighed down by her heavy clothing, she drowned in the pool below. The legend goes that sometimes her ghost can still be seen, wearing the red bridal gown and sitting forlornly by the pool brushing her hair. Curiously, other forms of legend say it's only her foot that can be seen, but I couldn't find any explanation as to why that should be the case. A more modern haunting in the Hong Kong was that of the Mitsukoshi department store, which was apparently haunted by the sound of children's voices between 1981 and 2006. Security guards would go looking for the source of the eerie sound, only to find that some of the toys in the toy department had been moved about and were scattered across the floor. Eventually, in the best tradition of haunted buildings, it was allegedly found that there had been an ancient burial ground under its foundations. Moving back to the UK, let's take a look at a haunting in a power station. I interviewed this witness just last week for my fifth book, These Haunted Times Volume 2, which will hopefully be published in time for Christmas, if I ever stop mucking about with the more interesting part of hunting down the stories and witnesses and knuckle down to the desk part of actually writing it all up. We're on the beautiful Isle of Anglesey for this story, on the northwestern tip of Wales, at the windswept and remote Wilfer Power Station. We'll call our witness Paul. Now, in August 1997, Paul had just started his apprenticeship as an electrician, and the company he was apprenticed to had them working on their contract at the power station. Paul had only been working with them for a week or two, and was obviously only trusted with the more mundane jobs at that point in his training. On this particular day, he'd been given the job of changing light bulbs. Because this was an active power station, with all sorts of safety protocols in place, obviously it was imperative that all lighting worked at all times, especially any emergency lighting. There was therefore a rotor for changing out bulbs to make sure they were always in perfect working order. At around noon, Paul had gone to the south battery room to change the bulbs there. When he pushed open the door to the long, rectangular-shaped room, there were no lights on and he couldn't locate a light switch. There was some natural light spilling into the room from the open doorway, so he wedged the door open, thinking he would find the switch at some point, but could work by the light from the doorway. He decided to start at the far end and work his way back, so he walked the length of the room carrying his stepladder and his bag of bulbs and tools. He set his stepladder up by the fire exit door, intending to change the bulb in the emergency exit light above it. He bent down to his tool bag to retrieve what he needed, 
and as he did so, someone placed their hand on his shoulder, making him jump a little. Assuming it was one of his workmates, he stood up and turned around to speak to them. To his horror, what was actually in front of him was a lady. He had only a second or two to take in the details before she vanished right in front of his eyes. This is how Paul described her appearance to me. She was a grey woman, coloured all in shades of grey, but a solid figure. She had really tidy hair pulled back from her face, like it might be in a bun or something at the back. As I stood up, I was looking directly at her face, and so in my peripheral vision I could see her upper body. She was wearing an old-fashioned dress with some sort of frill or lace around the bodice area, and below the waist she was sort of tapering off into see-through mist. She was looking at me and giving me a lovely smile, but her eyes were just like black holes. Surprisingly, Paul told me, she was not threatening at all. She was there and then gone within a second or two, no longer than that. I'm standing right by the fire exit, I swore out loud. I slammed through the panic bar on the fire door into the daylight, but I at least remembered to hold it open as if it had shut, I would have been locked out. I was like, Jesus Christ, what the hell just happened? Paul was now standing in a compound area surrounding the power station and couldn't go anywhere as he was now in the inner security barrier. To get out that way, he would have had to break the glass tube to release the exit. And as the new boy in the apprenticeship, he was worried he would get into trouble and lose his job if he did that. He stood there for a little while, knowing that his only real choice was to walk back through that dimly lit room to the exit. He thought about that for a bit and realised he also didn't dare tell his boss that he'd failed to change the bulbs. He thought out a plan and wedged the fire door open with a rock so that daylight spilled into the room. He then worked as quickly as he could changing out the bulbs he had to, then gathered up his stepladder and tools before kicking the rock away to allow the door to close. He started calmly walking towards the exit at the far end of the room, determined to try and stay calm as he could, feel the fear hovering. About halfway along the room, it suddenly occurred to him that in all the best horror movies, the wedged open door would slam shut and trap him in the room with the ghost. As he says, I started running full pelt and went flying out back into the hall and more or less flew into the arms of my workmate Mark, who was coming to tell me it was dinner time. Mark said, bloody hell, you look like you've seen a ghost. And I said, I think I just have. My face was white and I had tears rolling down my cheeks because I was bloody terrified. Paul told Mark what had happened, but it was clear Mark didn't really believe him. They walked to the canteen together, where another of the lads remarked on how pale Paul was and asked if he was okay. Mark told the guys in the canteen what Paul had said, and one of the older workers, Bob, remarked, Ah, so you've seen her then? Bob told the listeners and the still-shaken Paul that several people over the years had seen the ghost of the Grey Lady, and there was a spate of sightings of her in the early 1990s, when a new building and a roadway had been erected within the compound. Several people had reported seeing her walk into the new building, but every time anyone went to check, there was never anyone there. Paul has since been told that the ghost is thought to be that of an opera singer called Rosina Buckman, who used to own the land which the power station now occupies, and who loved going there for peace and quiet away from the hubbub of her busy life touring the world stages. He worked at the power station for another four years after the incident, but never encountered anything else strange there. He freely admits, though, he avoided ever being alone in that particular room again, even though he still maintains the smile she gave him was lovely and that there was no sense of threat about her. It was just the horror 
of seeing something up close and personal that he had never believed existed until that moment. Well, that's all for this month, guys. Remember to check out my books on Amazon. Just type in Ruth Roper Wild, and you can see them either as ebook or paperback, or even read them for free if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription. And keep on tuning in to the Weird Wacky Wonderful podcasts. You never know when we might be discussing something in your corner of the world. Thank you very much to Richard Lenny and Ruth Roper Wild for their contributions there. Really interesting about those flashes. Make sure that you go to the YouTube channel that we're going to link to in the podcast notes. And quite interesting about Ruth, wasn't it? That she said that that chap Paul admitted that he wasn't really a believer until it actually was there staring him in the face. So amazing, amazing, amazing. Love those guys. As always. What about Tom? Oh, no. Yeah, and Tom. Tom, we yeah. love you. <laughs> Thanks once again to the Weird Wacky Wonderful team. That is Tom, Ruth and Richard. And us. Well, yeah, and us. But I'm thanking them. I'm not thanking us. We, we do it because well, we have to. Well, why won't you thank me? All right. Thank you, Bella. I appreciate you thank being you. here. Yeah, thank appreciate you. Appreciate it. And then would you like to edit it? No. Okay. No, but I'm not going to thank you. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. Why? Because you're just rude to me. I love you, though. Yeah, in the nicest possible Bella, I way, love right? you. Yeah. Mm. I really love you. I believe you. Bella. I love you. Shelley. Yeah. Always stay (laughs) weird, Weird, wacky, wacky and and wonderful. wonderful. I love you too.